Hello and welcome. My name is Steve Pugh and this is the Growth Strategy Podcast. Um, every week I hopefully speak to interesting people that we talk about their their own business, their own journey, their own careers in a way that can hopefully add value to, to your journey and what you're looking to do. And then likewise, I always love to pick interesting people that I think have genuine value to add uh, you know, and to almost share their journey and that kind of thing as well. So Andy, who I have the pleasure to speak to today, I appreciate he's a very busy man. So Andy, thank you for that. Um, basically, what we're going to do is talk through his journey about how he got started, uh, causes that he's super passionate about. And we're going to talk about the philanthropic uh, society, but also CEO sleep out and lots of other things. And then likewise, for his own career journey, at some point, uh, he obviously decided to go into public service and he's now the elected mayor of Middlesbrough and actually just that kind of thing and likewise if you have any questions for Andy you can send them in the chat on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, any of the platforms and they should pop up my screen and if you join us for the next 30-40 minutes hopefully it'll be an interesting conversation uh, so Andy there we go and um, people can now see you and hear you. Hi. <laughs> perfect no genuinely thank you for your time i can imagine how what's your schedule being like today i imagine you're rammed busy all day every day um i tend to be very busy yeah i, I kind of like it that way i like to be busy um sometimes i find myself too busy uh and that's a problem because it means that i don't get a chance to think or catch up and sometimes it means that i don't do some things as well as i could um so there's a trade-off, isn't there, between doing lots and doing a good amount well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes I get on the wrong side. But but uh, the short answer is, uh, yeah, I'm very busy. I've had a busy day. <laughs> because with uh, before we uh, joined the call, uh, I was saying that I moved up to the northeast about 10, 12 years ago. I spent three and a half years at the what's now the combined authority, but at the time it was the LEP, Tees uh, Valley Unlimited. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's funny because you see the papers you see people in the region you see people do stuff and um what's what i'm always fascinated in because i actually really loved working in public service and in economic development because actually i love the community element to kind of give back and then i think from my research you've been elected mayor for quite a while now but actually i've loved to see what you do and the things you get involved with and you're very active on twitter and even things down to as silly as it sounds bin collections and stuff it's where I really wanted to kind of pick your brains as someone who's a very successful businessman, you know, almost how and why you kind of got into that. So hopefully, you know, it'll mm. be interesting for, for you as well. Um, one of the things I love to do, because especially for younger people, I imagine that you didn't always want to be mayor, but actually mm -hmm. I love to kind of pick people's brains on where they grew up, what they were like at school, because often with entrepreneurs, yeah. you, you find um, like successive traits, you know, the people are often very similar at school and maybe they're a little bit naughty a little bit cheeky or often they're into sports that kind of thing and i love just to kind of learn about people's uh journeys um but before we do would you be happy to give a quick kind of 30 60 seconds intro just about who you are what you do now because it helps mm -hmm. really when i clip this up to go onto youtube i've got that nice little segment that it's okay uh, is that okay sure yeah. perfect yeah of course so i'm andy preston I am 55, uh, I'm married with two boys aged uh, 17 and 13. Um, uh, I'm the elected mayor of Middlesbrough. Um, that, it's like an executive role, not a sort of chain wearing, you know, <laughs> garden party opening uh, kind of mayor, although maybe I guess I do occasionally do that sort of thing. Um, and um, before this job, I, I set up and ran a couple of charities mm -hmm. called uh, the Middlesbrough Teesside Philanthropic Foundation, 
which gets money from businesses to distribute across communities. And the other one is CEO Sleepout, which gets executives to sleep outdoors overnight across the country to raise funds to fight poverty and homelessness. And before that, I worked in, 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 in finance and in international finance uh, as a trader on the financial markets. And uh, I, I built and ran a, a hedge fund business for a bank. Wow. Um, yeah, so um, that's, that's probably a bit more than 60 seconds, but that gives you a little feel uh for stuff yeah but like it's i I genuinely enjoyed it i love picking people's brains because it's it's brilliant to learn from different people's experiences and likewise the thing that i also find really interesting is that it's how many people actually will tune in and watch this and really get value from learning more about you and what you've done and what kind of drives you um so were you born and bred in the northeast yeah well sorry first of all is it is it okay if i drink my you can drink honestly there's, there are no you, rules. You might not realise while you were talking, my wife snuck in and put uh, a coffee down here. Trust uh, me, I just got it's in fine. To, it's... Do, to do this, you see, I've been racing around over, you know, all over Middlesbrough, and I just got in to do this and do something else. Um, so, um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> Where did you grow up? So I grew up uh, uh, Middlesbrough, all over Middlesbrough, different parts of town, uh, and I left when I was about seventeen. Wow um and yes so very much middlesbrough based middlesbrough focused um family had always been from the Mm -hmm. area you know going back a few generations from elsewhere you know uh, ireland and parts of the uk for the family but uh but very much middlesbrough through and through family friends uh, and everything else no fantastic and i believe from your linkedin you went to university in edinburgh what did I, I went to Ed, Edinburgh Uni. Yeah, yeah. Loved, what did you do? Loved that. Still do. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a real. It was a place. I went to university a little bit late. I, I wasn't very good at school. Okay. Uh, I was quite um, very, very, very uh, much an underperformer. Um, failed most of my exams, uh, and was just always. Um, I, I now know that I've been diagnosed with ADHD. Okay. which explains a lot. And I was always uh, consistently in trouble for low-level, you know, misbehaviour, sometimes more serious stuff. But but usually it was just low-level being accused of not listening, misbehaving, distracting others. Uh, and I now know that was probably just a symptom of my hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, unfortunately, the way my brain is, I can be a little bit inattentive if something else grabs my attention, you know, Same. I'll look away. Gosh, that's interesting, you know. And, and, and we all do that. All humans do that. Um, but, yeah, I think people who are diagnosed, uh, they display and, and feel a greater propensity towards that, that natural thing. So, um, yeah, so so school was tough for me, actually. I didn't enjoy it at all. You know, I have friends and family, uh, Stephen, who say that uh, it was like the best time in their life. And, and mm-hmm. I, I always find that quite baffling i understand that's how they felt and and i understand that for them that's real but i I struggle to 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 feel um uh, um, empathy with that because i i just hate i hated it i hated feeling corralled i hated feeling uh that the day was planned for me Mm -hmm. i hated um i felt a lot of pressure to conform and i always felt like the naughty boy i always felt like i was doing something wrong uh, which wasn't a nice feeling. I didn't. I didn't thrive on being naughty. I didn't mm-hmm. love it, uh, and, and it was there, and it, that wasn't nice. And when I think back to school now, I, I think about grey corridors. I think about a depressing feeling, you know. 
Um, so school definitely wasn't for me and didn't bring out the best in me. But the funny thing is a lot of entrepreneurs have that kind of slightly rebellious streak against, you know, you don't want to conform, you want to do your own thing. And it's, so it's really kind of common. And it's, it's again, fascinating to hear these threads which run through lots of different people. And I imagine now, um, you know, I think one of the things I always find quite funny is that when you are, I guess, under 18, the focus is so much on school that school isn't for everyone. But likewise, if you're not academic and it's not really working for you, it's it's making people know that there are other options out there that, you know, mm-hmm. likewise, you might be good at skilled trades or you could be a good talker or whichever. And it, but that's why I love to share the journey because you've been incredibly successful. And, you know, likewise, maybe at school, maybe teachers didn't see you in that box, if that makes sense. And that's why I love to kind of talk about it. Um, so what did you do at uni? Uh, I did philosophy in English. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, I was really interested in like um, the bigger questions. I'm always interested in uh, the unknown philosophy is about the unresolvable in, many, in mm-hmm. some ways. It's about the unresolvable, that stuff that can be debated and discussed and people can hold positions. Uh, but, but as soon as you can prove something, mm-hmm. then it becomes a science really. So, so um, philosophy in English, I had a real passion as well for written material, writing, literature. I still have that, but, but my ability to, to read mm-hmm. uh, is, is hampered by my, it always was, but it's, it seems more so these days, hampered by my hyperactivity and uh, inattentiveness. I, I, so I, I actually do read now, but I'll tend to read uh, non-fiction. Mm-hmm. I'll tend to dip in and out of non-fiction stuff uh, and, and listen to a lot of podcasts, which uh, seems to suit my brain because I can listen to something while I'm doing something else and learn a lot from podcasts. Um, again, that's part of the reason why I love to do this because the not everyone likes to read. And it's really funny actually because my wife is a partner in a law firm and she loves to read fiction. She loves Agatha Christie and yeah. you know that kind of thing. I hate, I don't hate it, but it just gives, I have zero interest in it. I love factual yeah. stuff. I love mindset stuff. I love anything that I see is useful. And it's just mm-hmm. really fascinating just to kind of hear different people's. So then how did you get into finance? Um, well, you know, in the eighties, um, I guess, I guess, I guess I was always very, very ambitious. Um, and it was kind of there in my belly, this kind of like gut genuinely like a gut feeling that I had, I wanted to achieve things. Probably at that age, I equated success with money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wanted money and I always, always tried to earn money. You know, I always, um, I don't know, I would cut neighbors' gardens and I would, I don't know, I had a paper round for years. You know, I always wanted to earn money. And 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 so I, as, as I grew and that matured, I, I wanted to be successful. And to me at that age, and I now know this isn't the case, but at that age, success was about mm-hmm. how much money you had. You know, that was what I understood. And... Um, so I wanted to go into a career where I thought I could earn a lot of money. It was the 80s. You're, you're too young to remember. But, but basically, there was, this, there was this burgeoning of a sense of acquiring, driving the best car, mm-hmm. earning the most money, especially at a young age. The younger, the better. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and and so, so I used to see programs about these. There was this thing called a yuppie, which was this... This, this, a big mobile this kind of like label that was attached yeah. to, to to people at a young age that were succeeding and prospering um and, and yeah i wanted to be like that and and so i wanted to there were two careers really i for me 
as a kind of like man uh, who felt ambitious and wanted to earn a load of money like last week. Uh, and the two careers at that stage that seemed to me were, were going to be um, on the financial markets or, or in advertising. Advertising was big and booming back then. Um, yeah, so that's what I did. Uh, and that was my motivation. I, I felt I'd be good at it. I don't know why, <laughs> but I felt I'd be good. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, it, it was it was a really interesting... Actually, it's a re- if I may talk about it for a second. Honestly, that's the whole point. <laughs> it, it, was, it was exceptionally difficult to get into those positions where you had the chance to, to, to prosper and do well. Um, and I think, I think looking back, it must have taken an awful lot of pushing, mm-hmm. cajoling, you know, countless applications. And I always remember, I always remember applying. This is a really interesting lesson for me and possibly for others, is that I was applying for jobs with all these big banks and organizations as, as a trainee. And, and basically, I'd get the interview, maybe two interviews, and I'd get a letter saying, thanks really much, lovely to meet you, we love you, uh, but we're not going to offer you a place. And I was always like absolutely gutted. And after a while, you know, I got so fed up of being nice and polite and, and, and getting rejected that my last interview, uh, this sort of British-based stockbroker company, I, um, I, I basically just decided I was going to talk about my agenda. Mm-hmm. So pretty much whatever they asked me, I was respectful to the question, but pretty much whatever they asked me, I said what I wanted to say, which was that you should really give me a job because I'm going to work incredibly hard. I'll do anything you want, and I will be available to do seven days a week, 18 hours a day, and I will make a success of it. And that's why you should hire me. And and I got invited back for another interview and then a selection day, and I kept saying the same thing, and I got offered a job. And, and thank God that I decided to stop being too polite mm-hmm. and actually get my message across. And, I, and I, I hope that's a message that I give sometimes to my boys and to other people. And people can take or leave my advice. Obviously, it's, you know, I'm not saying it's right. But I think it can really work is that you can be too polite. You should always be respectful of the questions, respectful of the situation and the context like an interview. But m- don't let yourself walk out of that room without getting your key messages across. Mm-hmm. Find a way of answering the question that gives your key messages in any situation. I think actually... Because if you don't, you're on the way home, aren't you? thinking, oh, I wish I'd... If only I'd said that. If only they'd asked me this. And they don't. They're not going to ask you the dream question. You have to give them the dream answer. But it's true. Stop, like, it's, no, honestly, it's brilliant. But it's, it's that, again, it's that balance of... It's having the confidence to share your passion because now, um, as an employer, you want people that want to work hard and they've got that drive and you resonate with them on a value, you know, because a lot mm. of people... That on paper they look brilliant they've got degrees or phds or whatever but they're, they're practically useless or they don't work hard mm-hmm. if someone turned up and said look i really want to graft i want to i would love that now and, and so it, honestly mm. it's, it's brilliant advice just out of interest what do your boys want to do when they kind of grow up they don't know my youngest boy's 13 so he doesn't really he, he's He's, I said this with a bit of embarrassment, but he's actually a fantastic gamer. He's very, very good at gaming. Uh, and he has a passion for it. And he's one of these kids that could, at a very, very early age could pick up your iPhone and he kind of knew the codes and he could always just make sense of technology. And he's also very, um, he's entertaining. Pe- people really like him. He's not, he's not a stand-up comedian or actor, but he's, he's, got he's very pattern. witty. 
Yeah. He's got he absolutely he can make people laugh. So I would think that perhaps he could be some kind of I, I think at a, at a young age he could do some kind of broadcasting gaming. I, I think he could do that, but I, I don't know what he wants to do. He, he's he's very young, and uh, my eldest is seventeen. He's very interested in politics. He's interested in business. He's doing psychology A level, which he really loves. Actually, really, really loves that. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I try not to corral them towards anything. I, I only ever try and corral people to life choices. Mm -hmm. I always least... say, you know, I'll put. Sorry. No, so at least they've got a good mentor and it, it you know so right. when you have what's always quite funny and this will be true is that kids will never listen to their own dad but they will massively respect someone else's does that make sense yes yeah and it doesn't matter what your own parents tell you you always think that you know better and that kind of thing but actually i you know i, I think you've got great life experience to, to tell and to share and that kind of thing so what was your career in finance like then because obviously you went on to do really really good things um, so basically, yeah, I, I, what do I remember? Starting as a graduate trainee uh, over by London Bridge. And, and I couldn't believe it. I tried so hard to get in. And I got in with six other graduates at the time. Um, and I just worked. I just made sure I worked the hardest. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was always the first in the office, always the last to leave. If it was, if it was quiet... Uh, I, I used to sweep up. I used to say to anyone, all the, the whole team, traders and salespeople, say, "Does anybody want tea or coffee? Can I get anyone's lunch?" And I was just, I was just determined to show everyone that I was there to learn. That they, they they were there. I, they, I could gain from them by by learning. Uh, that I was willing to do whatever it took. And yeah, I, I, I got some breaks and. I sort of prospered and you get a slightly bigger role, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, and then you get a slightly bigger role and then uh, it just goes like that really. And I think people spot the ones who are determined, uh, positive, cooperative. They also spot the ones who say, well, like, oh, well, I'm tired today, so I'm not coming in. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, if you're ill, don't go to work. I, I'm not suggesting, but you know, I, 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 think, I think that to get on at work, for most of us, you have to show that you are up for it, that you have sufficient ability, but you will also work your butt off to 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 get your point across, to be given the chances. And um, yeah, and that that was me. I was like, I was really, really, really driven. Um, when I think back now, sometimes I get a little bit embarrassed, and I was always asking for pay rises and stuff. And, and sometimes now I think back, oh my word, how did I dare? You know, but I used to get them. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's using your initiative and working hard and being proactive. And yeah. I, suppose I was probably the same. Like I was always in Cubs and Scouts growing up. And it was that, you know, do your uh, duty and do your best every single day. And I'm the same as that. I would have, even in, uh, I used to work in Quicksave, which is a supermarket. I would yeah. happily swap. I, I hate being um, the quiet you know, so always sweep yeah. the floor, speak to customers, do whatever. And it's just, I think that's something you either have instilled in you or you don't. But the mm -hmm. truth is your seniors will have noticed that all the way through. And especially when you're younger, you often don't think that people are watching you, but they are, you know, they are mm -hmm. looking at your progress mm -hmm. in the same mm -hmm. way that before the interview, you know, I've been tracking your progress for quite a long time. You know, you see the names in the region and I just knew that I'd love to have you on as a guest, but obviously you didn't know that. But the point is it does happen. And with social media and Twitter and LinkedIn yeah. and stuff, 
you know you can have a bigger impact in the community and you know so i've always like really respected what you're doing because you don't have to do it but the point is i do you feel that you still have the same mentality now as what you did back then yeah i think so i mean i'm definitely obviously obviously i'm older i think i think i'm a bit wiser uh i think i'm a little bit more rounded a bit less i was probably when i was young a bit chippy a bit i think i was less comfortable i'm more comfortable in myself mm -hmm. uh which is a nice thing actually i think it makes me a nicer person mm -hmm. um and and less probably less that makes me less tense and maybe a bit, a bit nice to be around i would i would hope um yeah so i i think i've progressed as a person um but i'm definitely the same i've got a lot of the same urges i don't know what it is in my psychology or wiring that makes me want to achieve it's interesting i, I mean I, I, inside me you know i actually i don't think i've really ever achieved anything and i feel that i have lots to prove um i feel i have a lot to prove um and it's not that I necessarily feel that like I'm lacking. It's not that I necessarily feel that um, I don't know. I need to win some a particular person over, but I, I definitely don't feel like a successful person in, in any way. Mm. I mean, people could point to say one or two things. So, well, you did well at that. I say, yeah, I did pretty well, but I, but I don't feel successful or victorious or I remotely satisfied in anything. If you at 16 17 18 when you wanted to be the yuppie and you wanted to you know do a certain thing that person if they were to see you now what do you think they would think probably think i'm really boring uh <laughs> old um what do they think of me because i think people are often really harsh on themselves in a way that your best friend if they'd achieved what you had I'm sure you yeah. would actually pat them on, on the back and respect what they've done. But we're often very hard and critical on ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Sometimes, you know, I, I do think that, although I can point to times when I've worked hard or tried hard at something, I never feel like I've achieved something thought that was thought to be insurmountable. Or I always think, oh, it wasn't that hard. It was quite easy, really. Um, and, and if I tried a bit harder, I might have done it better. That's that's maybe a flaw in my mindset. I don't I don't know. Um, we'll 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 move on because obviously we'll talk hmm. about some of the the charity stuff as well. So what was your? You obviously went into entrepreneurship at a certain point. How did you make that kind of the journey? Well, do you know what? I, I wouldn't necessarily. I don't know if I would count myself as an entrepreneur. You know, you get these people who set up big businesses and grow it from their their garage to you know, something huge. And I definitely don't think of myself as one of those. I don't think I've ever done that. I think what I have done, I mean, if it, if an entrepreneur starts things, I'm definitely that way inclined. Mm -hmm. I start things. I like, like to make things happen. I like to spot something that can be better or, or a problem that can be fixed or an opportunity that's going begging. I like to spot that. I like to try and get in and bridge that gap. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely that way inclined mentally psychologically but i definitely don't think of myself as as, a, as an enterprise guru you know you get i don't know these people who've just set up great businesses mm -hmm. um and, and employ loads of people and they've started from scratch and they were battled against the odds i definitely don't put myself in that group okay so then 
I'm trying to think how to fast forward this through. So at what point did you get, almost did you start to think about applying to become mayor and the whole process to go mm. through that? So uh, I, I, so I, I kind of like ended up, I say ended up, it was deliberate, but, but I, I, I moved back up north. When I was working in London, I sort of packed it all in in 2005, end of 2005, early 2006, I packed it all in. Um, and and I, I, I bought a house mm -hmm. uh, up here. Mm -hmm. And and so we had the house in London, the house up here. And and then I went back to work in London. I sort of did it with something with some friends. And I was commuting uh, between the two. My time was sort of split between the two. And then in 2008, um, stopped doing anything in London. Uh, it was too difficult. It was the financial crisis. Uh, and so I ended up spending all of my time uh, up here up north. And um, sort of, you know, after a few days of not doing very much, something, well, what do, what do I do next? So I looked at a few things, got involved in little bits and bobs. And, and then I, I saw that the financial cuts were coming and the impact on communities. And I thought about how, how, a lot of businesses are still making reasonable profit and they've got cash in the bank. And, and so the idea of the new charity started to get going. So over the next couple of years, I supported one charity in particular, but, but I watched and learned from doing that and then launched another charity about a year and a half, two years later, mm -hmm. which we called, the, it's now called Teesside Charity. It was called the Middlesbrough Teesside Philanthropic Foundation. That's, what, that's the one I founded. Um, and the idea was to go to businesses and to get them to give an amount of amount of money every year, uh, minimum of £5,000, and get lots of them to do that, put it onto a pot, and use that money to support community groups, community initiatives, apprenticeships, sports clubs, all of that stuff, to keep keep vital services going during the cutbacks, and also just uh, lend support to, to great community groups who had nowhere else to go for funds. Um, and, and, and so so I ended up doing that, not coming into contact with a lot of community groups, mm -hmm. And it gave me a much bigger insight into what was going on. A pre previous charity work had given me an insight into deprivation, the impacts of that on human psychology and on community uh, senses of aspiration. But when I got involved in the charity that I set up, mm -hmm. I was immersed into these communities and interacting with community groups. And I could see exactly, in my opinion, I could see exactly some of the things that were going wrong and some of the things that might help fix that. And so I became interested in in local politics. What what why isn't this being done, or what why can't that be done? What what are the challenges? Um, and my interest then just grew and grew in the end, where I thought, well, I'll mm -hmm. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, yeah. I'll 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 get involved. Yeah. Because so it was a it was a it was a gradual thing that happened over time. But the, the, that that's still incredible in its own way because the, it's both the empathy to actually you realize and look at local communities and see the impact that you can make um, because actually i used to work at a company called nortec solutions so it was brian and lane bunn who mm. used to donate to the uh, philanthropic mm. and it was just you know i would see the newsletters and the different things that you do and it's when you can help young sports people buy equipment and, and it, the reason even when you said before about you're not sure if you'd made an impact to those people you don't you know you don't forget that kind of thing and the ability to literally plant seeds in the community to help people out with stuff 
to you it's one of many but to them it can be a really big deal and I, mm-hmm. that's why i think it's super kind of cool that you've done it but likewise it's the fact that it was a conscious choice to do it a lot of people wouldn't they would just sit and look after themselves and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and that that's mm-hmm. why i think it's really interesting um yeah and then yeah. likewise would you like to tell us about the ceo sleep out yes yeah, so the ceo sleep out so um is a charity um based on an australian phenomenon a guy called bernie fion um set up a, an event called ceo sleep out not a charity but an event where he got executives to sleep outdoors overnight. And Bernie Fion um, used to raise the money for a, a big homelessness charity in, 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 in Australia, St. Vincent, St. Vincent de Paul. It's an international organization. None of there is Vinnie's. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd actually was talking with somebody called Joanna Wake, uh, and we were talking about arranging some kind of sleep out in, in the Middlesbrough area. This is going back to probably 2000. 12 or something uh, about creating some kind of sleep out to support a homelessness charity in the area that was struggling financially and we sort of shared a few ideas and then i heard of this guy in australia called bernie fion so i called him we had a good chat i said can i use the name he said yeah so so we set up an event called ceo sleep out the first event was 2013 at the riverside stadium Mm -hmm. uh and, and i've been involved in raising money with charities for ages uh, and it's it's difficult actually it's difficult and and we did this event and there were 30 people it was one night raised 30,000 pounds it was a lot of goodwill people didn't enjoy sleeping out but they enjoyed the event and the camaraderie and, and everything like that and I thought right I'm on something here so so basically then I, I recruited I decided I wanted to form it as a standalone charity recruited uh, a couple of trustees I'll name check them that's uh, Nick Tunley a lawyer at Endeavour Partnership, and Abu Ali, uh, a corporate finance guy up in Newcastle. I can't remember where he works right now, so I won't mention him. But and they became trustees, and we 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 we, we formed the charity. And basically, with their help, I went round the country, Newcastle, in the north, further north. We went to Annick, in fact, to Annick Garden. We had events up there in Northumberland. We've put events on down in Portsmouth, in the south, in the west, as far as Cardiff. Um, Wembley Stadium, so these big sleep out events. So, and it was basically in the early days, it was me uh, running around, literally getting in the car. I didn't have any spare time, but just and driving to Cardiff and and and, and meeting local people and saying hello and getting them to get involved and back it and help recruit local business people. Did that all over the country. That's gone really well. I think we raised a few million quid. I think so, something like that. I'll need to check. I'm, I'm the I'm the chair of trustees now, but I'm not involved in running it. It's now run by somebody called Bianca Robinson, and she runs that full time. Does a much better job uh, than I did because I was just running around, you know, mm-hmm. here and there and everywhere. But I, I was great at getting it going. But once it was up and running, it needed uh, a structure and some processes and some staff. But it's a great charity that that, that supported. I'm going to guess it supported up to a hundred groups across the whole country mm-hmm. that do a little bit in their communities about anti-poverty anti-homelessness so it's a great great charity it links business people with who who are obviously affluent Mm -hmm. and it links them with the concept of abject poverty destitution in a great really healthy way that, that that creates empathy and understanding and a willingness to make change so it's a great charity that uh 
I think has gone well. COVID's been really tough on it because obviously we couldn't host the sleep out events, but they're getting going and this year is bigger and better than ever. So that's really exciting. Uh, so yes, CEO Sleep Out has been a great charity. It is a great charity uh, and it's growing. So that's uh, fantastic. I've got and it's all been done on a very modest uh, staff wage bill and infrastructure, very modest infrastructure. I like stuff that's simple and doesn't need much infrastructure. I was going to say, why did you do it? Why did I do it? Again, I, I, I think I, I saw an opportunity. I thought, right, okay, this, this could happen. This could happen and do some good, and it's not happening. I'll I'll jump in and get it going. And uh, obviously, my uh, probably my intention at the time was that I'll get it going, and three weeks later, somebody else would take it on. And I, I did it probably on my own for three or four. I can't remember how many years. Three or four years, and it became a, a problem. It was very very difficult actually to, to 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 keep it going. I got great help. I've got a personal PA. Diane, who who has always been exceptionally uh, committed and giving up lots of her own time to help keep that charity going too. So yeah, but we did it. It's, been, it's a good charity. It raises lots of money. It goes direct to great, you know, street based initiatives, uh, and it operates in in across the country. Now, especially with at the moment, you got the cost of living going up. The both the philanthropic and CEO sleep out. That's such good and important causes that genuinely will help a lot of people that need it and it's just and this is what amazes me that but you still don't think you've done anything is the the thing that blows my mind so what i'm going to say is when we clip this all up and we'll put it out i think hopefully we'll get messages from people that actually do appreciate what you have done and what you continue to do because all the way through that you didn't have to do any of this you chose to and i think that kind of says a lot um so then you what was the process like to go through to run for elected mayor and then actually when you did start is it what you thought it'd be mm. so the process yeah so there's there's two ways to look at that there's the bureaucratic process so you know you need your forms filling and you need lots of signatories i can't remember how I many it's a lot of people have to sign a form and say they'll vouch for you at a personal level and they give their name and address and they sign and that 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 wasn't that easy. I mean, everyone, lots of people support you, mm-hmm. but trying to track them down and actually meet them and get their signature and they're like, and what is this form again? And what am I signing? And you know, uh, so there's bureaucratic hurdles. You have to pay some money a deposit, not a huge amount. It might have been five hundred quid, um, but it's it's a bureaucratic and legislative uh, minefield uh, running a campaign. For example, you, you you have and you get loads of dodgy information as well. The rules are quite vague on political campaigning. Some of the rules are crystal clear, and some of them are very vague. And what you find is that some people who are paid to advise you, maybe they work for a council or something, they will give you their interpretation, but they'll give it to you as if it's the law, when when in fact it isn't. It's usually just what makes their life easier, and it's trying to work out what's 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 the law and what isn't. But there are laws that govern elections, and everyone's always trying to trip each other up. So if you put up, if I put up a big post that says "Vote for Steve Pugh," right? Yeah, let's say you're standing as a, in some kind of election. One day. Um, one day, somewhere on that poster, if it's during the election, mm-hmm. somewhere on that poster, there has to be in the tiniest print, if 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 if, if necessary, um, uh, printed by, published by, on behalf of. Now, 
The public never see it because it's so tiny. And truthfully, I can see why they do that, but it doesn't really make any difference. But um, if you don't do that, what happens is all your competitors call up the relevant body, who then go to the police, or they go straight to the police and they say, Steve Pugh has broken electoral law, which is technically true. You've not really done anything terribly wrong, but you've broken a rule, um, and you get a call from the police. And in the middle of your campaign, but people do that with all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, um, you're not allowed to incentivize voters with hospitality. So if I was standing for election, you were, you 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 might be a voter of mine, you and your neighbours. If I say, um, "Come to the pub with me, and I'll buy you all a dinner, mm -hmm. and we'll have a brilliant night," and I spend you know a huge amount of money wining and dining you all in the hope that you're all going to become evangelists for me and go out and spread the word, that that clearly breaks election rules. However, what you can do is put on uh, refreshments. So if I hold a meeting in a pub. Uh, it's legitimate, exact to put on soft drinks. That th there's no rule against putting on booze, actually, but but you probably get questions. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be hard to explain, and there's no rule against putting on sandwiches either, by the way. But but you see, there's a grey area in that I can't take you for an expensive meal, but I could, in theory, mm -hmm. get you and your neighbours to the pub and put on some sandwiches and soft drinks without without any questions. Yeah. Um, but but, however. <laughs> Having said all of that, what, what somebody did, it, I'll say somebody, I'll tell you it was in a minute, I won't give you their name, um, is that I had a meeting in a pub with some residents, they wanted to meet me, I said okay I'll meet you in the local pub down at Berwick Hills, and we met in this back room of the pub and we all said, and they, they all got themselves a whatever drink, and, uh, and I, I didn't have a drink, I went to the bar and I said does anybody want a drink, I'm going to the bar, no they were all fine, uh, as, as I walked through from the little back room to the bar, this guy came, I was, I was stood at the bar and this guy came up to me and he said, are you Andy Preston? I said, yes, I am. He said, oh, I want a word with you. I'm not very happy. I said, all right, okay, well, I'll talk to you in a minute. I said, I'm, I'm actually just, can I just order a drink? I said, what? And I said, do you want one? And he said, no, thanks. Fine. Uh, I got my Diet Coke. Um, <laughs> and we went through the room and either he then proceeded to disrupt the meeting, just spouting incoherent nonsense. He was a very, he was very nervous. Mm -hmm. He'd been put up to it, and he'd been fed a few lines, and he didn't really understand them. I mean, I'm not sure how savvy this guy mm -hmm. was, but he, he was definitely in an uncomfortable place. He was anxious, but was was borderline offensive and very, very disruptive. Mm -hmm. So, so basically, the, the other people who asked me to come and meet, and they kicked him out with a flea in his ear. Um, but I got a call the next day or two days later from the police. Um, saying some, uh, 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 they were going to investigate me trying to bribe voters. And like, so, so what had happened was, I, I'd literally not bought anyone a drink. There was a meeting in a pub. I was at the bar. Some guy came up to me and I said, well, there's a meeting next door if you want to come in. If you, if you really want to mm -hmm. have a go at me, do it next door. We'll have a chat, sit down, calm down. Can I, while I'm here, can I get you a drink? Mm -hmm. A diet cold, by and the way. And it was that, yeah. And it was that. Anyway understandably that was dismissed as absolute nonsense but someone still did it but well who was that guy who was that guy i was fighting labor at the time as an ex-labor member i've got nothing against the labor party uh but I, the labor were fighting hard against me and spreading all sorts of truths and they said it was nothing to do with them nothing to do with them this guy after a bit of digging not much 
turned out to be the brother-in-law of the Labour candidate who was against me. <laughs> now, we swore blind it was nothing to do with him and it was nothing to do with the Labour Party. But Obviously, it looks, it, looks, it looks very, very odd, doesn't it, when the can Labour candidate's brother-in-law reports me to be... My point is that you have to be so careful. Campaigns, mm -hmm. if you are a threat to power, Stephen, they, things get really nasty. If people are fighting for power, it gets tense, but if people are going to lose power or fear they are, they get really nasty, and it's it's horrible. And uh, my, you asked me about my experiences and how I found mm -hmm. it. It's it's a privilege to do the job. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible job uh, I, as an I independent who gets non-stop abuse, lies. People putting up, I've got a nice house. People put up pictures of my house on social media. That's not a crime, but it's 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 designed to intimidate mm -hmm. my family and say, oh, well, Andy Preston lives in a nice house. You should hate him too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, things like that, uh, they show a lot of the people involved in politics for what they are, which is, which is very small-minded. People to be pitied, but people who can cause trouble mm -hmm. um and it's 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 a horrible business it, it really is a horrible business so for instance that again proves the point that you probably don't have to do it you choose to do yeah. it because you i'm putting words in your mouth but you, you want to make a difference and you want to look after are they technically called constituents or residents i'm you know i i, I think i think probably residents is more appropriate but i do hear constituents used a lot usually that's used in a constituency yeah, yeah. uh whether i have a constituency i don't know but mps have got a constituency mm -hmm. haven't they um, so, but residents certainly so the the people that you look after what are the main issues that kind of plague their lives at the moment um the the, the one i get most messages on and i spent an hour this afternoon on with somebody is potholes <laughs> road surfaces that is like the biggest uh, by a mile you know, it comes in and out of fashion, and, and, and this time of year it's always in fashion because the roads are always at their worst state this time mm -hmm. of year. Just come out of winter, the roads have had a whole winter of rain and frost and ice to make the potholes worse, but you don't start repairing them till till, till, the, till the spring proper. So, but potholes, um, potholes are a problem. They bother people. The biggest issue that affects mental health, affects our economy, affects jobs, and affects community cohesion is crime mm -hmm. and fear of crime. Yeah. And uh, there's some of the things I see, some of the abuse I see, some of the horrific victimization that I see and people scared to leave their homes is, is thoroughly depressing. Yeah. And I am committed to do everything I can. It's often not easy. I don't control the police. I don't control their budget. I can't go to the government and ask for 50 million quid. Mm -hmm. Well, I can, but there's not, you know, there's yeah, not yeah. much point. Um, so I, 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 crime and and fear of crime, people, anti-social behaviour is the phrase that's used. Anti-social behaviour is, I don't know, a kid knocking at your door and running off, or dog mess on the pavement. That's anti-social. Mm -hmm. The stuff that we tend to call anti-social behaviour is intimidating. It's terrifying, and it genuinely pushes people to the brink of suicide. Mm -hmm. It's a crime. And uh, that's the biggest issue it, everywhere, everywhere in the country. Uh, that's the biggest issue. But the thing is, like, it, it would take, and this is someone that also worked for three and a half years in local authority, government type thing. 
it takes people that are entrepreneurial are willing to take risk and put their neck on the line and do, go over and above to tackle issues that are big issues like this but then likewise again it, it's the ability that you can impact how many residents do you have in Middlesbrough? In, in our little council very very narrow boundaries we have 141,000 people wow but that's 101,000 people that you can improve their lives even if it is only potholes it's i i love it i think it's brilliant and it, likewise the part of the reason why i wanted to get you on the podcast is just that from what i'd seen and when i'd done my homework you you haven't had to do almost any of it but you chose to because my perception was that you wanted to make an impact and you wanted to look out for the community and likewise often you can have a much bigger impact to a hundred thousand people that in many ways they can't always help themselves and i think that's why it's kind of really cool and i certainly applaud as will many people kind of what you've done and stuff um i am conscious of time and i've got my little clock there um one of the things that i love to do towards the end of every interview is ask you a few different questions and these all get clipped up to go into youtube and that kind of thing mm. um it's also my favorite bit and it's would you be happy to share the best piece of advice you've ever had right okay um the thing about advice is, I, I always say to people giving advice, um, is that listen to everyone, but bear in mind, most, most of it's a load of rubbish. Uh, and maybe my advice is, is, is a load of rubbish. Um, I, I would say, am I allowed to give, give a few things? Whatever you want, honestly. Okay, so I would say two things, perhaps, so maybe three. First one is um, do your best. Work really hard. Do your best. And if you've done your best, and you can put your hand on your heart and say, I did my best. If people aren't happy with that, you move on. Whether that is uh, a personal relationship, um, an academic situation, uh, an employment situation, if you've genuinely, genuinely done your best and it doesn't work for the other side, move on. Do not cling on to it because if you've done your best, it's never going to work out. You can't do any better than that. Um, we've all been in situations where you want to salvage it, you want to retain it, you want to cling on because you're scared of change or you're, I don't know, whatever. There's some status attached to it. it it's, it's, it's definitely, I think, something to move on. The other thing I think for me is, as I've got older, and I touched on earlier, that you, I think as you get older, most of us get a bit more comfortable with ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I was younger, most young people... You know, seeking for looking for an identity and and trying to impress and make their way in the world, and and I think that can cause you to sometimes try try to almost cover up parts of yourself, try and be more like other people when it's not you. And I, I, think, yeah. I think being true to yourself, and that doesn't I don't I don't mean never reigning in your behaviour, and I don't mean watching what. You, don't watch what you say. But what I mean is, when someone is genuine, they're far more likable. Uh, people who try and act a bit, I don't know, whatever, uh, it, 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 it's not genuine. And I think it comes across as not genuine. And I think it impacts how the world treats them. Um, so I think being genuine is, is, is really, really important. And the other one is, is to have goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was I had the privilege of chatting, a really good chat with the the international athlete Richard Kilty yesterday. We had a good old chat about everything, and one of the things we both agreed on is like, and he's had all his life is have a have a goal, work out what it is, tell people about it, you know, 
share it, share that goal, and then have a plan as to how you're going to get there. If, 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 you, if you don't have a goal, it's just a dream. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you write it down and share it with other people, it becomes a goal. And when you start writing down how to get there, then you've got a plan. And it's a little bit every day. It's a little bit every day. And every day doesn't have to be a battle, but you should try and do something positive every day to just a tiny thing towards your goal. Love it. Love it. Um, the next question, um, if you were to give advice to your younger self and you could pick any age, any background at school in London, maybe when you're thinking about moving back to the Northeast, even when you were thinking about applying you know, to be mayor or not, if you were to give advice to your younger self, what would it be? Be yourself, work hard, be brave, be ambitious. Yeah. Is that what you'd say to be your yourself boys? Is really important. Be yourself is really important. I agree. I think what was what I found from my own experience, so I grew up a uh, single parent family in Liverpool. And when I went to uni, I was around people from completely different backgrounds. And I was the poorest kid in the class. And what I really kind of found was that because I wanted to fit in, I probably wasn't myself just because mm-hmm. you want to fit in. And it's yeah. it's when now, when you go on 20 years, you can kind of look back and I can see it in other people that they're not doing it maliciously. It's just a case of it's the, the environment they find themselves in. But actually, I think that's really, really good advice. Yeah, um, I totally understand it. I totally understand. We've all done it. You're most in a situation and you want to make other people comfortable. So you act like them. You do, right? Whether you, I don't know, you behave like them, you talk like them. We all do it. We try and make others comfortable, don't we? So we don't want to stand out. And yeah, it's it's natural. But it, but it, it's definitely good if you can be the real you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And people like you more. <laughs> I think it's true. Um, is there anything you would like to talk about or plug before we go? Any charity stuff? Anything coming from Middlesbrough? Anything? You um, wish? I would say that, um, you know, look, we, we all know things are going to get very tough. Uh, I, I think that empl- employment is going to remain really high. So I think there are going to be a lot of jobs around. I don't think getting a job is going to be difficult and possibly extra hours for people won't be that difficult either. But rates of pay for many of us are not going to keep up with inflation. Benefits are a million miles away from keeping up with inflation. So there, there are going to be tough times out there for huge sections of society. And, and, and I know everyone says, oh, the government should do it. And so they should. But we all have a responsibility in a small way to, to work out, how can I give share some of my good fortune with others? A little bit of money or a lot of money if you're very wealthy, and and, and pick a good charity. In, in, in Teesside, we've got the Middlesbrough Teesside Philanthropic Foundation. If you want to raise some money, get involved with CEO Sleepout. It goes right in the front line, anti-poverty, anti-homelessness measures. Google CEO Sleepout uh, and sign up for an event. They're fun. You meet people. They're great for networking. But most importantly, you can raise some funds for vital anti-poverty work. Um, so that would be a message I would give out perfect well i appreciate your time i know how busy you are um thank you for today good luck to the your boys whatever they kind of decide to do next and uh, i will continue to follow your progress on twitter and different things and keep up the good work and stay in touch thank you steve lovely to chat thank you cheers andy thank you bye-bye bye-bye